good to see all of you, and uh, what an honor to, to uh, witness these baptisms, right? That's so cool. If you haven't been baptized yet, I certainly encourage you to uh, contact us and let us know. We would love to have an opportunity to talk to you about what it means and uh, for you to have an opportunity to uh, just give testimony to what God has done in your life. Um, I want to thank all of you for your prayers. Uh, my father passed away recently, and I did his funeral this Monday uh, down in Florida. And so many of you have uh, sent cards and expressed kind uh, sympathies, and uh, you're a loving group, and I really appreciate that. Marston, I appreciate it very much. And uh, it's been a whirlwind, and I appreciate Pastor Kyle speaking last weekend. did a fantastic job, as he, as he always does. And... Um, after the funeral, uh, my brother and I and some friends, our spouses and, and a couple of friends, uh, had to clean up uh, what, what dad left behind. My dad did road construction for many years. And he would, uh, I don't know if it's a Dutch thing or what, but he would, he would take home everything he found and everything that, everything that was left over. And then he, then he did other kinds of uh, repair and con- contracting work. And, it didn't matter if, if it didn't have a home, he provided one for it. So uh, we spent the week uh, getting rid of 10 tons of uh, garbage. And, um, you know, one man's treasures and another man's junk is how I put it. And uh, I finally figured out why dad left all of that behind. It was so that my brother and I would not have time to grieve. Um, <laughs> I, we had time to do some other things, but I won't talk about that this morning. But uh, he's at home, he's at peace with God, and we're thankful for that. And thank you for your prayers. We're going to talk today uh, about family again. We have one more message next weekend. We'll wrap up the series, and then we'll get back to our big series where we've been talking all year long about, you know, uh, God's uh, great story. And um, we'll be entering into a section of it that I think you'll find fascinating in the book of Romans. But um, I, wanna, I wanna pick up where I left off in the first message in our series when I was talking about you know, certain parenting principles that we need to follow. And I wanna remind you as we do that, that you know, if you're not a parent or you're not a parent yet, uh, this applies to all of us, single, married, family, no family. Everybody can get something out of this, especially today. And the way I'd like to do this, I'd like to kind of revisit uh, the passage we've been looking at in Ephesians 6 and I want to add one more uh, passage from uh, the book of Proverbs. So uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, and let's, uh, we stand in order to honor God. And let's read this passage uh, together. Here we go. Ready? Together. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother... Things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And then Proverbs 22, 6, read it with me. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Amen. May God bless his word. You may be seated. So the Holy Spirit inspired Solomon, he inspired the Apostle Paul to remind all of us, and particularly parents, of how responsible we are to bring our children into a right relationship with God, 
and to make sure that they walk the right pathway in life. And in fact, it's not just our job as parents to say to our kids, look, there's the right pathway, there's the truth. Now you guys, you walk in that truth. And we have to actually join them on that journey in the truth and walk it with them. And the more of us that walk it with them, the more, the more significant that becomes for their life and the more they'll stick to that path. What doesn't work is for us to say, that's how you ought to live, but then we walk in a different path. Because like that old saying goes, our actions are always going to speak louder than our words. So if I don't model for my kids and my grandkids, if I don't model for my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, if I don't model for strangers who might observe me on a, on a flight or on the highway or at the store, if I don't model for them what it means to walk according to the truth of God, they're not going to be attracted to that truth and, and they're not going to respect the God that we worship and, and the truth that we find in, in the scriptures. So that kind of leads into that principle that I left off with a couple weekends ago. If you missed the message, you can go online and watch it. It was the third parenting principle. And I simply said this. I said, you have to point your children to the right path and you got to walk in it with them. You got to be willing to take those steps with them. So how do you do that? And to answer that question, what I want to do is I want to use a metaphor of pilots and, and airplanes, right? Of a pilot and an airplane. So let's say uh, you were going to leave MSP and you were going to fly all the way over to, I don't know, let's say uh, you're, you're going to go to uh, Dublin, Ireland. All right, how's that, okay? You're going to uh, get on an airplane. Apologize, I hope the plane looks better than this. But uh, you're going to get on the airplane, all right? And before you take off, the pilot is going to input, that's the brain of the plane, all right? He's going to input a map that's going to take the plane from where you are to where you want to go. And uh, there are these invisible highways in the sky, all right, that, that the computers and satellites follow. And he's going to, or she's going to input into the brain of that plane the, the map, the route that's going to be taken. Then after the, the flight takes off, the flight management system keeps that plane on course. Suddenly, you don't even know it, it's keeping it on course, dealing with all the distractions, headwinds, etc., to make sure that you land where you're going to go. All right, so a uh, simple little metaphor to think about. Now, why did I do that? Because as parents, okay, you are like pilots. And your job and my job is to input into the brain of our child, okay, the route, all right, the word of God, the truth to live by. But there's a problem. And the problem is this. Unlike the computer on that plane that, that kind of does what's put into it, doesn't ask questions, you just, you know, the pilot puts it in and it just does what it's, it's programmed to do. I don't know if you notice this or not, your kids don't do that. All right, I gotta get rid of these keys, I'll be messing with them, thank you. All right, um, I forgot to take them out. Um, but, you know, our, our, our kids uh, have a mind of their own, right? And I mean, that mind of their own, it already starts to act up in the womb, okay? And so it's hard to get it inputted in there and then to get them to actually walk on that path because sometimes you put the input in there and you both agree to it, 
and they, they walk a different path or they refuse to go down that path. They want to argue with you about that path. Has that happened to any parents here before? All right. And, you know, as parents, we did that to our parents, didn't we? Who did it to their parents all the way back, right? It's a, it's a challenge to get our kids. It's a challenge to get our family to walk on the right path. That's why it is so important that you start them down the right path, listen, at a very young age. I came across something the other day. It was so simple, my goodness. But it went, it went like this. He said, the best time to train your kids is when they're trainable. <laughs> the best time to teach your kids are when they're teachable. When are your children most trainable and most teachable? When they are their youngest. If you wait until they get into those preteen, teen years, it's more challenging, right? Why? Because already they're beginning to form some independence. They're already beginning to think for themselves. Their personalities get set at a very, very young age. So you've got to start right from the beginning. And I think that's why, that's why God told Moses to write these words to the people. Let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, parents. It actually says Israel. And be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O parents, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, what's really interesting when you read that, God is being pretty specific here about starting when they're young and constantly and and, uh, repeatedly telling them what the truth is. And that's that's because the enemy, Satan, this world, this world system, does that really well every day, but, but it's not the truth that it's inputting into your kids' minds or your minds. It's anything but the truth these days. You'll see that in just a moment. But what I want to do right now is I want to switch metaphors. Go from a pilot, an airplane, to um, eating, all right, food. When does a child first begin to take nutrition into their bodies? Well, the answer is in the womb, right away, right? And as soon as they come out of the womb, they're screaming for what? They're screaming for food, right? Because it's instinct, it's innate, right? There's a, there's a biological trigger. A healthy child wants to eat, right? And, and it's important that we feed them when they want to eat. And I don't know if you ever notice parents, but they never stop being hungry, right? They, they are, their mouths are always open, always ready for for food to be put in. And it's kind of funny when our kids come home to visit us, our adult kids and now our grandkids, 
you know, one of the first things they like to do is look in the fridge or go to the food pantry or see if, you know, if grandma or mom, you know, made that special thing that they love to eat. And, and a lot of what we do in our families, a lot of what we do in life is around food, isn't it? It's around eating. And you're going to find out why that's so important in just a few minutes. You know, I know after, after my, uh, the funeral, after I did my father's funeral, uh, my brother and I and our families and, and a couple of friends, we went and we had, we had a meal together. And it was a special time of sharing. And, and, you know, and every day after we cleaned up the, you know, what we could of the, of the mess, we would go and have a meal together. And uh, it wasn't just because we needed nutrition in our bodies, but something happens around the family table. We'll, we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. But I, I want you to keep that thought in mind that we, you know, we hunger for food. And let me suggest to you that every child that is born not only has a desire for, for food, they also have a desire for spiritual food. It is innate, it is in every person born to want to connect to a power greater than themselves. Anthropologists, secular anthropologists will tell you as they study cultures all around the world that in every culture, in every tribe, all right, there is a, a desire to connect with something, someone greater than themselves. There is a hunger, listen, there is a hunger in all of us for truth. There is a hunger in all of us for something that is moral and absolute, that is innate in our lives. And you have to work hard to get it out of a person and to change it. It's just part of who we are. And the reason why is because, for instance, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the writer says that God has placed eternity in all of our hearts. There is that voice that we are born with that says, God is, God is, God is. Truth exists, truth exists. In a couple of weeks, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 1 and 2, where Paul simply says, we are born with this sense of wanting to connect with God and that God has revealed himself to the whole world so that the connection can be made, but our minds have been swayed by lies and by things that are not true, and we worship that which is not God, we worship the creation rather than the creator. We'll get into all of that. But there's that hunger, there's that desire that is in us. St. Augustine put it this way. He said, oh God, thou hast made us for thyself. Finish it with me. And our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. And my heart, the human heart is restless or another word we could use is that the human heart is dissatisfied until it finds its satisfaction in God and in his word. So every child born, your kids, my kids, our grandkids, they are born with a dissatisfaction in their life. And they are meant to leave the womb, they are meant to they are meant to search and discover what will satisfy them. And it's a wonderful and dangerous thing in their life that if it's not parented well, can become disastrous. Now listen closely. If you get nothing else out of today, I, I hope you'll walk away with this. As a parent, as a grandparent, 
as a husband, as a wife, as an individual, as a friend, as a disciple maker. This applies to everybody. As a follower of Christ, your job and my job is to prove to our children, prove to our neighbors, prove to our coworkers, prove to our friends, prove to those who don't know Christ. Our job is to prove to them by our lives that God truly satisfies, that God really does bring joy. That's our job. Our job is to live a life that is just entirely satisfied with God, entirely satisfied with his truth. So that those around us look at us and go, man, you live a satisfied life. You seem so satisfied in this world. How can you be so satisfied? You're going through suffering, pain, and hardship. How can you be so satisfied? That's attractive. I am looking for satisfaction. But I become increasingly convinced that one of the reasons why so many students who grow up in Christian homes and in the church go off to college or university and leave the faith the numbers are high. It's first of all, it was their parents' faith and not their faith. They just associated with it. But secondly, listen carefully, I think it's because they looked at their parents, they looked at the church, and nothing about their parents and nothing about the church communicated to them that God is truly satisfying. Or that the truth, the truth of God is satisfying. They look at our lives and they don't see. They don't see that God brings joy. What they hear is, what they hear is that we go to church because we feel guilty and we need to go to church, right? It's kind of a, a habit, it's a legalism that we go through. And when they're in church, there's nothing that they experience in, in the body of Christ that, that seems satisfying. What they hear about are differences and arguing about the color of carpet. Um, arguing about who's in control and arguing about the music and arguing about the teaching and, you know, on and on and on. All they hear about really communicates to them how dissatisfying the Bible is and how dissatisfying God really is. Because there's nobody really happy. Nobody seems really satisfied. That's sad, isn't it? Now, here's a challenge. We have a lot of young people in this service so this is going to make the challenge even more, more powerful. I want to challenge you as parents, if you're willing to sit down with your kids and grandkids sometime this week, maybe even today, and, and tell them, I want you to be honest with me. Do I, do, you, do I, do we communicate to you that God is satisfying? Do we communicate to you that there's joy in the Lord? Or do we send the message to you that, that God doesn't really satisfy because we never seem satisfied? See, you see the challenge? See, we live in a world, right, that tells us we can never be satisfied until we have more. And it's not more God or more of the truth, but real satisfaction is found in money. So we chase money and it temporarily satisfies True satisfaction is found in sex. So we chase sex in all its forms and deviance today, and temporarily it seems to satisfy. We're told that satisfaction comes with success, so we you know, get the degree, we climb the ladder, we try to be successful, even in the church, even in ministry. It's, got, it's all about success, so we chase that so hard, right? And it ultimately doesn't satisfy. 
It's all about looks. It's all about health. It's all about my body. So we chase all those things. And it's always temporary, but it never satisfies. And we get caught in that even as believers. And our kids watch that and listen to that. And they just become convinced that, that nothing, you know, nothing really satisfies. We live in a society today where we're being told that, that your feelings are your truth. We have become a truly individualized society today. That's why patriotism is down. That's why community is down and all these things. We've been bent inwardly. And we're told if you just follow your feelings, you'll be happy. Do you know what? This, aren't, this, is not, this isn't Christians. These aren't Christians that are telling this, okay? You know what? Secular social scientists are telling us these days. They're telling us that people are less happy these days than they used to be. That for all our, our desires to, to just chase our feelings and let our feelings lead us and let our feelings be true, it is leaving us more depressed, more discouraged, more disheartened. And you know what they're discovering? Everybody say duh with me just once, right? Let me hear it. Duh. What they're discovering is that people who have a real faith in God, people who really believe in moral absolutes, for some reason, they seem to still be happier. Where's that, what does that tell us, right? What does that tell us? And yet, and yet we still are trying to find our satisfaction in the wrong places. It reminded me of this verse in Psalm 34, verse 8. Read it with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. We, we took a break and celebrated when we finally got uh, ten, all 10 tons disposed of. And um, it was in Fort Myers and we went, we had, we had pizza, at a, a, a nice pizza joint, but at the end, one of us wanted to have ice cream. And, um, <laughs> and, and we went to a place called... Um, I think it was called Love Boat Ice Cream. Love Boat Ice Cream. I want to tell you something. That's some of the best ice cream we've ever had. <laughs> and we all got our big scoops, and, and we ate it, and it tasted so good. And it tasted good. It just, I don't know, it changed everything for me. My life was changed in that moment. <laughs> I, I'd do another 10 tons for just another big scoop of Love Boat Ice Cream. I, I wanted to take refuge in the Love Boat ice cream shop because it tasted so good. That's what the scripture's saying. It says, taste, taste of God, taste of his grace, taste of his mercy, taste of his goodness. You'll find it so good that you'll want to take refuge in it. Now, I, let me ask you a question, rhetorical. Do you really feel that way about God? Man, a lot of Christians that I meet, and I'm probably one of them, look up, as the old saying is, like we've been sucking a sour persimmons, right? There's not a sense of this is satisfying, this is joyful. But it is. So what, I, what, I, what I'd like to do is, because I know people come up and they say, it's hard to have family devotions. It's hard for me and my kids to get together and, and, and to do God's word so we can find him being satisfying, so we can, write, we can walk on the right pathway. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to show you, all right, a way to do this, okay? Very simple. And to help me is our fifth grade scholar, Molly. So would you welcome up Molly, all right? 
Molly, you are in fifth grade, right? Yes. Where do you go to school? Clear Springs. Clear Springs. Where is that? Is it here in Minnesota? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. So I want to make sure. And uh, how old are you? 11. You are 11 years old. Very, very, very smart 11-year-old. Thanks for helping me out today. No problem. And by the way, I've, I'm going to be sending you something in the mail for helping me. All right? What's your favorite, like, fast food place? Subway. Subway, really? Not Chick-fil-A? <laughs> Would you rather go to Chick-fil-A or Subway? Tell Chick me. Be honest. Chick-fil-A. Oh, all right. Okay, so you upgraded you a little bit, didn't we? Yeah. All right. So I got something coming for you, all right, for all the work you've done today to help me out. So you and I are going to teach them this method called SOAP, S-O-A-P, very simple way that you as a family could begin to taste of the Lord and his word and see how good it is. Now, we're going to show you how to do it, and we're going to suggest to you that you always do it before a meal, that you always do this before a meal, and it's not hard. Most of your Bibles, right, have been divided up into paragraphs. Now, some are longer paragraphs, but most are fairly short paragraphs of thought. So you base it on a paragraph, all right? So I chose a paragraph coming from Psalm 34, and it's verses 11 through 14. Why don't you hold the mic up close to your mouth, and Molly's going to lead you in this passage. You're going to read it with her. Ready? One, two, three, go. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. You're very good at this, all right? Now, that's the scripture, okay? So because we're short on time, I, I want you to select, because this is what they have to do. You have to select one phrase or one verse out of all the verses you read. So what happens is before you read it, you pray and say, Lord, may your Holy Spirit guide us to, or guide me to one word, one phrase, one verse, okay? So uh, I want you to choose, Molly, what's the phrase you want to focus on, okay? So go ahead and underline it. Let's see if it works today. <gasps> Look at that. Do you know there are very few people I allow to do that? <laughs> yeah. Even Pastor Kyle has to ask permission to do that. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, that's the phrase you want to focus on, okay? Out of all those things. Let, uh, let's say it together. Go ahead. Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and let your lips from telling lies. That's a pretty important phrase to focus on, right? Okay. So what we do is we erase this and we go to our acronym SOAP, okay? So the first thing you're going to do is we're going to write down what the scripture phrase is, okay? So, because we don't have a lot of room, I'll abbreviate it, but you would actually write this down. They would write it down like in a journal that they keep. So they would write down, uh, speak, no, you can write the word evil because I don't want to write it. All right, very good, nice handwriting. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Do you want one of these at home? Be nice, huh? All right. And, and I'll just put, obviously, you know, and tell no lies. So that's the scripture. You wrote it down. They wrote it down, okay? Now, um, the next thing is there's an observation to be made. Okay, you look at this thing and you say, well, what, what observation would you have from this? What, what does it say to you? 
instead of speaking lies and not good stuff, speak truth and um, speak good things. All right, so speak the truth and good, right? So we could just write down speak uh, good and speak truth, okay? Very good, all right? Now, the third A is for application, okay? So, so how are you going to apply this? What would be a way, Molly, for you to apply this? If you think of something mean or uh, if you think of something mean, then say something good instead. Okay, so if, you're, if maybe you're thinking something mean about, um, do, you have, do you have brothers or sisters? I have a sister. Okay. Is she older or younger? Older. Ah, well... You know, older siblings, they can be mean sometimes, but yours probably isn't, okay? So you probably never think anything mean about her, but you probably know kids at school, right? Do you ever have, do you ever have a mean thought go through your mind? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, not very often. I haven't had one yet today. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, all right, so when a mean thought comes to your, to your mind, you would replace it with a good thought, right? Or if you wanted to say something mean to somebody, you would replace it by, by saying something good, right? So now you're applying this, right? Awesome, okay? So um, you would just simply write down, uh, when I think mean, I will say good. All right, that'd be an example. Then the last thing is you turn it into a prayer. You actually write the prayer in like a sentence. So your prayer could be simply saying, Lord, I pray and ask you to help me when I want to say something mean or I don't want to speak the truth. God, help me to say something good and to speak the truth. And then you'd be all done. All right? Pretty simple, isn't it? It's called S-O-A-P. Anybody can do it. Thanks a lot. You did a great job today. Let's give it up for it. <clears throat> okay. I mean, it doesn't get any more simple than that. And so there, here's how I, I would suggest that you do this. You come to the meal, all right? And before you eat the meal, everybody sits around the table. If you have kids who can't read or, you know, can't, they're too young to participate, at least have them there to observe so it starts getting into their minds, right? And so what you do is you simply sit down and you just go through this. Take a passage of scripture, ask everybody to choose a phrase, right? So it, it takes a little bit of time for them to write it out. And, and something they want to focus on, ask everybody to think about how to apply it, help each other apply it if that's what it takes, and then have everybody turn it into a prayer. You say, we can't do that every day. Then do it, do it on Wednesdays and maybe on Sundays. But at least twice a week, have everybody come with what they did all week long, because everybody, you know, everybody should do this every day, all right? And then two or three times a week, at a meal, you talk about it. Say, what's this big deal about a meal all the time? Well, there was an article that appeared recently uh, in the Atlantic Monthly, and I thought it was rather fascinating. A sociologist by the name of Cody Delastrati explored the most recent scientific literature and discovered that the single most important element in raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, intelligent, kind human beings is frequent family dinners. The most important predictor of success for elementary age kids is frequent family dinners. The primary factor in shaping vocabulary for younger children is frequent family dinners. The key variable most associated with a lower incidence of depression and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18 year olds is frequent family dinners. Now why is that? Because the pasta is so good? Mom's chicken soup is so great. 
the pizza is so wonderful, the ice cream is so delicious? No. It's because there's a time when we're all together and we have an enjoyable distraction called food and we're coupling something like the study of God's word with that and you know what? It actually sweetens up that time. You look forward to a meal, you learn to look forward to the word of God. It's everybody sharing and everybody growing together and it really works. Study the New Testament, actually study the entire Bible and look at how much of the narrative of the Bible revolves around food. There's a reason for that. You feed, you feed your hunger physically while you feed your hunger spiritually. And I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. Well, we don't have time for that. If you don't have time for that, man, no wonder things aren't going well. No wonder kids aren't walking with God today. No wonder they don't sense any satisfaction because dad and mom never talk about being satisfied themselves with God's word. You, whatever satisfies you is what draws you. The question is, have I tasted of God? Is he drawing me to him? All right, got to move on. Parenting principle number four. Protect your children by limiting the influence of social media. Let's do duh one more time. One, two, three, duh. And yet it's one of the biggest struggles that we have. It's one of the biggest struggles that we have. Look what social media does. According to uh, Christian Parenting Magazine, social media can steal a family's valuable time and attention. All right, according to Common Sense Media, the average teenager... The average teenager spends seven hours and 22 minutes a day with media. Now that can be homework on a tablet, okay? It can be music, it can be video games, it can be just watching television, it's TikTok, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's uh, all the other uh, um, social media platforms that can be used. Two hours at least, two hours specifically are devoted to um, uh, social media platforms out of that seven. Now, folks, if your kids are spending, let's say, only four hours, not the seven hours and 22 minutes, that's four hours of steady information being pumped into their heads, I question whether or not it is God-centered and truth-based. So you just have to make up your mind from a very young age, because it gets harder as they get older, to limit the time with social media, to limit the time with media, period. Number two, social media can warp your family's perception of the truth. How else, how else do we explain the absurdity of our culture, the American culture today, when it comes to areas of sexuality and gender, etc.? The stuff today that's now accepted and believed it's just absurd. I mean, I just read recently, I actually read it yesterday, of, of uh, one of the states that refused to pass legislation that would have prevented adults from wearing risque clothes in front of young children because it might offend drag queens. My, my point is, how do you get there? How do you get there? How do we get to that place in our culture, in our society? where we think the way we think these days, unless something has been creatively and has been um, strategically and repeatedly put in front of us until we finally accepted it and believed it and will tolerate it. 
And what are we going to do about it, right? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond to these things? C.S. Lewis said, the Christian and the materialist hold different beliefs about the universe. They can't both be right. So God and his word and secular society cannot both be right. He goes on, he says this. He says, the one who is wrong will act in a way which simply doesn't fit the real universe. I want to ask you from just a common perspective, common sense perspective, what doesn't fit? And what doesn't fit is not the truth. And the question that leaves us with is, what are we going to do? How, as believers, as followers of Christ, how do we handle this whole situation? And, and here's the good news. This is not the first time the followers of God have been in a situation like this before. There was a time when God's followers were in as deep or worse situation than we are in today. And you'll be shocked at what God told them to do as individuals and as families. It's not what we are prone to do these days. Which is either run, circle the wagons, or become hateful and spiteful toward the culture and political. Would you like to know what God told them to do? You're going to have to come back next weekend. <laughs> and then we'll wrap up the series. But I have an assignment for you, okay? I want you to take a couple of minutes. We've got some background music for you. I want you to take a couple of minutes, and I want you to write down what is one thing you heard today. I actually want you to write it down. Write down what is one thing you heard today, and what are you going to do about it? Young or old, invite you all. What is just one thing God, you heard God say to you, God's Spirit said to you, and what are you going to do about it? Otherwise, we've wasted our time today. What's one thing you heard, and what are you going to do about it? And then Pastor Kyle will come up.